said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all with him, Put away your foreign goods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign goods that they had and rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terabith tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the son of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, seven. And there he built an altar and called the place Ebethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. The word idol has lost much of its traditional meaning in our modern culture because of the way we've interpreted it in magazines like Teen Idol back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, or currently uh, the television show American Idol. But idolatry is a very serious thing. Martin Luther defined idolatry as anything that we trust in, cleave to, or fear above God. Throughout Israel's history, they struggled with idolatry, and they fell into patterns of trusting in the gods of the foreign nations for protection. And we can also fall into the devil's trap to trust in foreign gods, which are actually demonic presences. The passage of scripture we're looking at here today shows that the founder of Israel, Jacob, uh, is in a situation where he must step up as the leader of his family, and he must call them to greater holiness. And he sets an example for us that we can learn to and apply to our own situation today as we confront the idolatry that's all around us. And so today we're going to be looking at God's command and Jacob's response and then how it can relate to us. And So first of all, let's look at God's command. Some of the commentaries that I was looking at uh, places this in the history of uh, Israel about seven to ten years after that reunification of Jacob and Esau. And so he's been living in this land for a period of time. But there's something that he's forgetting about. Remember back in Genesis 28, verse 22, where we saw Jacob's ladder there and uh, Jacob was fleeing his brother and he was on his way to uh, his uncle Laban. And the Lord gave him a vision. And in that vision, he promised that if God would deliver him, if God would help him, 
he would come back to that very spot and he would offer 10% of his increase. Well, that has not happened to this point, and so God is calling upon Jacob to make good on that promise. And I find it interesting that God does this at a very opportune time in Jacob's history. Two of his sons have just killed off an entire town because the leaders of the town disgraced their sister, Dinah. Shechem, who was the prince of that town, saw Jacob and his family when they arrived in that area. And he fell in love with one of Jacob's daughters, Dinah. And instead of going through the proper channels, which were to approach the father and to ask for the daughter's hand in marriage, instead he kidnaps her, brings her to his palace, and takes her for his wife and begins to have sexual relationships with her. Simeon and Levi decide that they're going to play a trick on the men of the city because they're too powerful for Jacob. And so what they do is they approach the the prince of the land and say, you know, our daughter should intermarry with you and your daughter should intermarry with us. But in order for that to happen, you need to circumcise yourself because we only receive family relations with those who are circumcised. And so the men of the town say, yeah, we'll do that. And so they're all circumcised. And then on the third day, which is the most painful day in the healing process for circumcision, they attack the city and the men are at a disadvantage and they overcome the entire town. And so Jacob is horrified when he hears about this because now he knows that he has become a stench to all the other towns, all the other relatives of Shechem. And he's afraid that they're going to be overwhelmed. He confronts his sons. And his sons are like, well, we needed to do something for Dinah's honor here. And at this very moment, God calls him to return to Bethel and to dwell there. Now, there are a couple of aspects of this unfolding uh, in these events that I want you to consider for your own life. The name Bethel means house of God. And the first time Jacob was at Bethel, he was just passing through. He was visiting Bethel. But now God is calling him to come and dwell in Bethel. And many Christians are content with visiting the house of God, just passing through. They tip their hat to him on Sunday, but then they go about living their own lives as if God does not exist. But God calls us to dwell in his house. That doesn't mean we grab a U-Haul and grab all our stuff and we all move in here to this address, this church building. Because King's, uh, Dave, King David's desire was to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And he said that before the temple was even in existence. He wanted to dwell with the Lord. What he was saying, he's, he wanted God to be at the very center of every aspect of his life. And Jacob is not in this place right now. He's avoiding God. And we'll see some of the apparent reasons here as we unpack this text a little bit more. And so God uses this circumstance in Jacob's life to get his attention. The question for you this morning is, is God at the center of your life? Is your home his dwelling place? Is your heart completely devoted to him? Or are you avoiding him? in certain areas, maybe even areas that you made promises to God before. 
God, if you do this, then I'll do this. There are many times in which God uses circumstances in our lives to get our attention. He might use a crisis. He might use an illness to wake us up to the fact that he has not been the center of our lives. Because God is a jealous God, and he doesn't want us bowing down to other gods. And you might think, well, God's not that mean, is he? He's not going to give me a sickness or anything. It's not that God is mean, it's that he loves us so much that he wants to call our attention to our state. And it's funny, isn't it? Even with our own children many times, some of them move off and we only get a call, right? Well, I'm in trouble, Dad. (laughs) Bail me out here. That's not always the case. Many of you have a great relationship with your child, but sometimes that is the case, and sometimes that's the case for us and the Lord. Things are going fine, we don't really call upon the Lord, but when things are tough, we do. And that was the case for Israel here. They had a long history of doing this. When things were good, when they were prospering, they forgot about the Lord. In fact, they turned to other nations around them and did things that the Lord commanded them not to do. And so, for you men, if you saw your wife getting getting flowers and uh, receiving gifts from another man and she's going out on dinners with him, you wouldn't just sit back and watch that all unfold you would confront the situation. And I would say probably with some force, perhaps. (laughs) And so here, God is jealous of Jacob. They've been turning away to foreign gods. And so the next thing that God tells Jacob to do is to build an altar to him and offer a sacrifice. He's to bring worship to God for all that he's done for him. Bethel throughout the Old Testament is a very prominent city. And at one point, the Assyrians overthrow it because it has become a den of idols. It's full of idols. Israel's there, and it's filled with idols. And God has been pushed out of his dwelling place and out of the hearts and the minds of Israel and been replaced by foreign gods. We see this in 1 Kings 12.28. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough to the temple. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. And so what had happened here is the people had become lazy. They didn't want to make the journey to the temple. They didn't want to go up to Jerusalem. And so the king says, okay, well, we'll make two other gods, and you can worship them in these other locations, Bethel and Dan. Sometimes we become lazy in our Christian lives. Sometimes it seems like all this Christian stuff is just a burden to us. I really have to go to church again? And I would wonder, where is our first love? Remember back when you first became a believer? Remember back to the days when it was exciting to come, when all you wanted to do was be in the house of the Lord? Even for pastors some days, I can be like, okay, let's put this thing together again. And I have to question my own intentions. Lord, where's my first love? Where's my desire? Has it become a burden to me to come into your house? Or our daily devotional life? Well, I've read this time and time again. And we approach it in a way that is lackadaisical. You may have forgotten about your first love like Jacob has here. 
Jacob's safe and sound and he's forgotten all the things that the Lord has brought him through. And it takes a little bit of danger to wake him up to his situation. But to his credit, notice Jacob's response. As soon as God speaks to Jacob and tells him to go up to Bethel, he knows that he has messed up. He's allowed his family to slip into idolatry by keeping household gods. And so he calls a family meeting. He tells them to put away their foreign gods. And the word that we translate as put away has the connotation of turning aside from and taking a different course of action, doing a 180 away from the path that you've been on. And so, for Jacob, it's time to get serious about following the Lord with all of their hearts. For his family, the foreign gods were actual statues, right? Rachel actually stole some statues from her father when she was departing Padamaran back in Genesis 31. And that raiding party that just destroyed Shechem, they grabbed some foreign gods from that town as well. And they brought them into the camp. And Jacob here does a bold thing. Sometimes it's not easy as parents to step out boldly and confront the things that are going on within our household. There are so many distractions and idols that can lure our family away from the Lord. And many times, it just kind of creeps in over time. We turn our face away from maybe something that the kids are doing or even something in our own lives that we've decided to overlook and not bring before the Lord. And before we know it, a major rebellion is taking place. And sometimes this calls for a spring cleaning. Sometimes we need to go in and reassess those movies we're watching. Reassess that music that we're listening to. Reassess how we're spending our time together. And you might need to go through some of the things in your family and look at the influences that your children are under. And it's very difficult now because back in the day you could see it. Now most of the idols are on their phones. Most of the idols are on little screens that are luring them away. Maybe it's a particular sport that has become so dominant in your life or the life of your children. I know for me, golf is, a, I love golf, but I know it could easily, easily become an idol. Last week I was doing, I have the men's league on uh, Wednesday nights. It's a nine-hole men's league that I joined with the guys. And they were like, are you joining us this weekend for the championship thing? You know, I said, well, no, it's on Sunday, you know, and I, I'm a pastor, so that'd be a little odd if the pastor wasn't in the pulpit. I'll just call in sick, you know. It's fine. It's so fun. You'd love it. <laughs> you know, things that want to lure us away from our devotion to the Lord. And so Jacob, he gathers all these idols, and he buries them. And so there's a call here that the Lord has to purify ourselves. I want you to notice that he doesn't just take the idols, the little statues. Also, he takes all the jewelry, the earrings from his children. And it's not that jewelry is bad, but those jewelry that I looked at the, the context of that, those were luck charms that they were using. Kind of like a non-Christian wearing a cross thinking that they're going to get some kind of benefit out of it or whatever. And so that's what they were doing. He was taking away their luck charms, those things that they were trusting in. 
Much like someone who is a Christian, maybe, reading their horoscope. Or having some kind of uh, superstition. I don't know about you, when I'm driving along and the black cat runs across, how many of us get that little sort of, maybe I should turn around, you know. I like that. I just barrel through. You know, I didn't hit the cat or anything like that and get extra points, but you know, or going under a ladder, you know, Friday the thirteenth, or all these things, you know, right? But they can become small little things in our life that we begin to trust in more than we trust in the Lord. And so these are an offense to God because He wants us to look to His power and look for good from Him. As the leader of his family, Jacob saw what was necessary, and he made a decision. And this is the challenging part of leadership. Now remember that Jacob had not taken foreign wives like his brother Esau had done. He was taking from within the Christian family, so to speak. And that indicates to me that because you're a Christian or have a spouse as a Christian, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to go hunky-dory and that you can't be lured away to idolatry. And so now on a practical level, I want to list some of the top idols that I see in our country today and how we can bury them. The first idol that I see is money and security. Many of us want to trust in our bank accounts. If things are going good, if the bank account is fat, if my 401k is looking good then I feel secure. And then inflation hits, right? How many of you have checked your 401k or your stocks a little bit lately and like, oh, no, it's kind of diving down, right? And your heart starts to beat a little faster, like begin to worry a little bit. And so how can we bury it? Perhaps we take some of that money, and instead of trusting in it, we give to a fund, you know, a a Christian charity or prison ministry or, you know, the the Bali, um, my father's home, or whatever it might be. We take some of that because when we give things away, it releases the power that it has over us many times. Another very strong idol in our um, culture today is sex and relationships. We see it all the time. How many times do we watch movies where they're just enamored by this person? I'm so in love, and they become an idol to them. To the point where if they walk away, you know, songs like, I can't live if living is without you, right? To the point where they're going to kill themselves if they can't have this person, right? And it becomes such a, a focal point for us. All our well-being is tied up in that. And so how do we bury it? First, we find our identity in Christ. And that's what I love about Mary so much. When I began to date her, I recognized right away she wasn't enamored by me. She was enamored by the Lord. And she also saw that my relationship with the Lord was the first priority. And that's why we were attracted to one another. That's why if I died, she'd be fine, right? Because it's the Lord she's trusting in, not me. And so we find our identity in Christ and we focus on him instead of the people that are going to let us down all the time within the church setting. We're, we're fallible people. Another one is image. This is a huge one in our culture as well. Just walk down the aisle at the grocery store. Magazine after magazine after magazine about our image. Staying young looking, right? Spending tons of money. (laughs) The late Johnny Carson was at the Academy Awards and he said, it's so nice to see all of these new faces on old people. (laughs) Because there was so much plastic surgery, they all stretched back, you know, and 
Billions of dollars. It's a billion dollar industry, right? All these people spending all this money to try to look young and to recapture their youth. And so how do we bury this idol? Well, one thing that we do is we age gracefully. We age gracefully. You got some gray hairs. You're getting some wrinkles. Getting fat. You know, when I went to the doctor a few months ago, and I was at the doctor, and they, I said, you know, I, I keep trying to lose weight, and, you know, and I, I've got this bad ankle, so I can't exercise like I used to and all this, and, and I thought he was going to give me this, like, miracle cure, and he said, you know, Scott, the best thing you can do is accept that you're going to be fat and old. <laughs> I said, wow, really? Okay, thanks a lot, doc. And then I was thinking about it later. I was like, this is my kind of doctor, right? He's a realist. <laughs> He said, you're going to try something, you're going to go back, and you're going to, you know, that's what happens when you get old. <laughs> right? The Bible tells us that wisdom is to be desired above beauty. Young man, their strength is in their, you know, their muscles. <laughs> As you get older, you find that your, you know, the strength is in your mind and the wisdom that the Lord has given you, and focus on that. And then the last idol I see is individuality. Most people don't want to be disturbed today. They don't want to have someone call them up and ask them to do things. That's why it's so hard to get things done around the church sometimes, right? People are busy. They're doing their own thing. And the same five people do all the work, it seems like. And so how do we bury that? The, Paul the Apostle told us to think more highly of others than we think of ourselves. That's a big challenge today in America. We are very self-focused also here, Jacob told them to change their clothes, put on new clothes. And this symbolized presenting themselves before the Lord in a sanctified manner. Used to be that when people went to church, they dressed up, right? You see pictures of the old days when everybody was in suits and the women had hats and, you know, they put on what they called their Sunday best, you know? And that might have been just one suit that they had that they saved for Sunday. And kids were cleaned up and sent to church. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with showing up in jeans and a flannel shirt or whatever like that. I love that. I mean, because the importance is God doesn't look at you any differently because you're dressed one way or another. However, back in the day, it was a symbol of reverence before the Lord, that they were going to go in to the presence of the Lord. And there was something special about Sunday morning. There was something special about this time. How many of you would show up on your very first date trying to court your spouse dressed in the worst thing that you've got on, you know, in the closet? You wouldn't. You try to put forth your best image, right? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that's what it's about. But it's where the heart is at. It's how we view this place as somewhere special, somewhere sacred, where we meet the Lord. And there's nothing special, so to speak, about the building and the wood and all that in this location or whatever, but it is what it symbolizes, what we recognize as we come before the Lord into his house. And so changing our clothes, also in regard to heaven, the very first thing you get in heaven is a new robe, <laughs> which is actually somewhat, I think you're actually going to get a new robe, but it symbolizes the removal of the old and putting on the new. And so there's something symbolic about that that I think is awesome. It's great. Don't get all, no, don't come to me afterward. Pastor, can I still wear jeans? You can still wear jeans. You can, you know, wear what you want. Be, you know, it's, it's about our, you know, how we come into the house of the Lord that I'm talking about here. 
And so what's the result here? One of the key problems that Jacob deals with is the fear of man. He's fearful of the other towns around him now. His sons have done something bad, and now he's in trouble. He was in fear of Laban. He was in fear of his brother. He's had fear his whole life. And yet, God blesses him. And that blessing, as a result, takes care of the core problem that Jacob has of fear. Because when he went out to Bethel, God struck all the nations around him with fear so that they wouldn't touch him. God dealt with the main problem in his life that he feared when he blessed him. Similar to myself. My main problem in life was I didn't have a dad. I didn't have a father who was there to teach me and train me and raise me up in the Lord. And when I began to come to the Lord and I began to consecrate myself to him, he took care of that problem. He provided five spiritual fathers for me that have imparted things into my life. One of my main other problems was sexual addictions back in the day. And so the Lord, when I set aside that time, I got out of prison. I spent three years just learning how to be a man in a mentor's house. I didn't date. And the Lord took care of that problem by providing me with a beautiful spouse, my wife Mary. And so too for you. Those things that are the core of what you deal with the most, whether it's fear or pride or anger or whatever it might be, the closer you get to the Lord, the less influence the devil has over you. Because the devil can't touch the Lord. He can't get close to him. In fact, he's afraid, and we know that because every time Jesus came into the presence of somebody that was demonically possessed, the demons began crying out in fear. Don't send us into the abyss, you know. What are you here for? What are you going to do to me? And that's the case for us as well. Those demons who are trying to influence your life and trying to tempt you and all of those things have to flee in the presence of Christ. And so the best thing you can do to deal with those situa the situation you're dealing with right now is to get closer and closer to the Lord. And this was the main thing that happened with Jacob. When he drew unto the Lord, those problems began to fall away. In conclusion here today, if I walked into your house today, I probably wouldn't see a physical idol. <laughs> wouldn't see a statue, although that's becoming popular weird enough, right? My little Buddha in the backyard, right? It's like... What's that all about? But what if I could see the idols of your heart just laid out right in front of me? Might be a different story, right? What are we dedicating ourselves to? Your trust, your confidence, and your fear may be resting in something besides the Lord Jesus. And so is God speaking to you this morning to take a journey to Bethel? To come to dwell in the house of the Lord? Is he graciously prompting you by his spirit to put away those things that are separating you from him? And by the way, he's not doing it to spoil your fun. Even though it might seem fun to do those things. He's doing it because he knows what's best for you. He created you to be a certain way. He created you for relationship with him. And so like Jacob's family, I pray that you would come and lay those things at the altar. When you come for communion today, Lord, I just lay this before you. Help me to get closer to you, and I can bury this thing for good so that it doesn't have control over my life any longer. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you so much for your loving mercy. As we sang about earlier, your kindness leads us to repentance. And it's your kindness toward us that we just long for. Lord, help us to recognize things that we have turned to and feared and loved more than you, Lord. Even if it's getting a little close to that line, Lord, help us to return to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.